You're listening to the Light for Living podcast, featuring the sermons of Emmanuel Baptist Church in El Dorado, Arkansas, where Dr. Clark Whitney serves as senior pastor. Join us for verse-by-verse messages through the life-changing Word of God. Along the way, we'll also feature devotional thoughts, Bible studies, and interviews, all designed to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to take it out and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. The gifts of Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I got to see Christmas through the eyes of my two little children at Steal Your Dollar City. (laughs) And it was worth it once. I love Christmas. I love Santa Claus. I love the lights. I love our TV station lights you can drive under and spin around and get dizzy. I love our downtown lights. I love the tree at my house. Good things that my wife cooks and bakes. All the wonderful things of Christmas. I love the gifts of Christmas. And if you were here last week, you remember we looked at God's Christmas gifts. God gives gifts to us. We think about Jesus being the greatest gift, and he is. But from that gift that God gives us, he gives us so much more. He lavishes his grace on us, his love. And his gifts are extravagant. We talked last week about God's gift to us. I want to talk to you this week about our gifts back to him. Our gifts back to him. The title of the message today is, What can I give him? What can I give him? You see, it's been said that life is God's gift to us. But what we do with our life is our gift to him. Life, eternal life, is God's free gift to us. But what we do with what we've been given is our gift back to him. What can I give him? What can I give him? And we'll look at Two passages today, primarily, Matthew 1 and Luke 2, they are the two passages that teach us the most about Christmas, about the birth of Jesus. And we're going to look at different characters in the story and what they give and what they teach us that we should give. I want to begin with a verse from 1 Peter today. And the Word of God tells us, as each has received a gift, use it. Each one of us has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Would you read that with me this morning? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You've been given a gift. You may think I don't have much purpose in life. Maybe you are advanced in years and you're wondering, why am I still here? Or maybe you're young and you think, what on earth am I here for? What can I do with my life? Or maybe you're in a middle age crisis and you wonder, uh, maybe I've wasted it up to this point and I'm on my final lap. What should I do as I head into the home stretch? God has a purpose for you and he has a gift that he's given you. And guess what? You're not the owner of that gift. You are the steward of that gift. And the gift he's given you, he tells you to use it to serve one another. Let's bow together and pray this morning. 
God, I thank you for the opportunity to preach the gospel one more time. And God, I'm not worthy, but you are worthy. I can't. You never said I could. But you can. You always said you would. God, I pray you would increase. We would decrease. We would see Jesus. And he would change us. God, as we look at these gifts, God, we would give them back to you out of an overflow of love for what you've already given us. God, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for Christmas. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I heard the story of four brothers who graduated college and they went on to have very successful careers. Some of them were doctors, some of them were lawyers, but these four brothers got together and their mother lived in a far away city on her own. And they got together to celebrate Christmas together. And instead of seeing their mother, they had sent her gifts, and they, they all got together as the four brothers, and they discussed the gifts they had given to their mother. The first brother said, I had a big house built for mother. It was huge. I built it for her. Well, the second brother, not to be outdone, said, you know what? I had a $100,000 theater put in her house. Well, the third brother he, he wasn't going to be left out. He said, I, I had my Mercedes dealer deliver an SL600. I don't even know what that is, but he had it delivered to his mother. Well, the fourth and last brother, he said, you know what? You all know how mother loved reading the Bible. In fact, when we were boys, she was always reading her Bible to us. But now she can't read anymore because she can't see very well. Well, I, I met this preacher who told me about a parrot that can recite the entire Bible. This parrot can, can name any verse, chapter and verse, you ask it to. It took 20 preachers 12 years to teach this parrot the Bible. And I had to pledge to contribute $100,000 a year for 20 years to receive this parrot. And mama just has to name the chapter, the parrot will say it right back to her. Well, the other brothers were very, very impressed. Well, they went home, and sometime after that, the mother had written some thank you notes to the brothers. This is what she said to the first one. Milton, the house that you built was so huge, and it's so nice, but I can only live in one room, and I have to clean the entire house. Thank you anyways. To the second brother, she wrote, Marvin, I am too old to travel. I stay home, I have my groceries delivered, so I never use that Mercedes you bought for me, but the thought was good, thank you. Michael, you gave me an expensive theater with Dolby surround sound. It could hold 50 people, but all of my friends have passed away. I've lost my hearing, and I'm nearly blind. I'll never use it. Thank you for the gesture, just the same. Dearest Melvin, she wrote the last brother, you are the only son with some common sense to give a little thought to your gift. The chicken was delicious. Thank you. The gifts that we give matter. It's good to put a little thought into the gift. I want you to see today that Mary and Joseph teach us that we need to give our wills, our wills. He is worthy of our will. I want to set the scene a little bit for you as we look at these verses. And it's good to laugh in church. After the last Old Testament prophet, there were 400 years of silence. 
God's people were expecting a Messiah, someone to rescue them. You see, God's people, the Israelites, were under Roman captivity, and they were looking for a Messiah, a military conqueror perhaps, someone that would come and relieve them of all of the problems that they faced, the pressure they faced from being under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And now the Roman Empire has rose to prominence and is occupying the Holy Land. And all of a sudden, God's plan that was foretold throughout the ages, over hundreds of years, through hundreds of prophecies, all throughout the Old Testament, that God would send a rescuer to bless his people, this plan begins to be set in motion, but in the most unlikely way. And that's where we will begin reading in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Matthew, chapter 1. And the Bible says, in the sixth month, I'm sorry, well, Luke, Luke 1, Luke 1. We'll get to Matthew back in a minute when we talk about Joseph. Luke, chapter 1. I'm just seeing if you knew how to Bible drill. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Stop right there. Nazareth was a backwater town in Galilee. It was pretty insignificant. In fact, in all the Old Testament, Bethlehem's mentioned, but Nazareth is not mentioned even once. In fact, people looked down their noses at people from Nazareth, they thought maybe they were country bumpkins. Uh, they mixed with the Gentiles too, too much. And that's why later on in the Gospels, they would say about Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, and there were two teenagers there, Joseph and Mary. And they were betrothed to be married. They were engaged. In the Jewish culture, the engagement period lasted one year from the time it began to the time the wedding was complete. And the husband-to-be during that time would prepare for the new marriage. But during that time, the engaged couple, the bride and the bridegroom, they could not be left alone or unchaperoned. There was no contact apart from adult supervision. Mary was a teenager. Not only that, she had little social standing in that day because she was a woman and she was from Galilee. So here to this teenage girl from a backwater town... God sets his plan in motion. I came to tell you today that God delights in using nobodies. God wants to show himself strong by using people who are weak. God wants to show himself mighty by using people who the world looks like are powerless. And I love it how the song goes, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody that can save anybody. Don't ever think that you're a nobody. God can use nobodies. But Mary was favored by God. And this angel Gabriel came as a messenger. And in verse 28, that's what he tells this teenage girl. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. What a blessing that is. But in verse 29, the Bible says she was greatly troubled at this saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I suppose you and I would feel the same way if an angel showed up. And the angel said to her, verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. What a blessing. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. All the promises are coming to pass in the womb of this teenage girl. Supernaturally, God was setting his plan in place to bring for his people a king from the line of David, but not a king that had an end, or not a king that had a limit to his kingdom, but an eternal king, God himself, the son of the Most High. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, I would imagine this would be a lot to take in, but she said this, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She didn't say, is it going to happen? She asked, how is it going to happen? Sometimes the ladies are a little bit more practical than us men. Uh, she, she didn't have doubt in God's plan, but she wondered how it was going to happen because she had never known a man. She knew that God would bring his plan to pass, but she didn't quite know how he was going to do it. And this is what the angel said in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You see, even in this passage, we see that Jesus was fully God. And supernaturally, he was conceived in the womb of the virgin, fully man. Every other child since Adam and Eve was born in sin. But this child was holy. He was not conceived naturally in sin, but supernaturally by the Spirit. And he was the Son of God. It's been said that the life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities. The virgin's womb and the empty tomb. He came into this world through a door marked no entry, and he left this world through a door marked no exit. Praise God, he is the God-man, Jesus Christ. And not only this, Gabriel said, here's the cherry on top. This miracle is going to happen, but here's another miracle. Your relative Elizabeth, verse 36, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Whether it's a virgin or an old lady, nothing's impossible with him. I want you to pay careful attention to verse 38. And this is what Mary said. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. All the things that you have said, let them come to pass. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. I don't even know the consequences. But I will say yes to the plan of God. I will submit myself as God's servant. Well, there was the other half of the relationship, Joseph. And they hadn't been married yet. And if, if time permitted, we would go through his story. But I want you to know that in Matthew 1, the angel visited Joseph as well and told him of the plan. And this was his response in Matthew 1 and 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. You see, Mary and Joseph teach us that, that he's worthy of the gift of our will. God is worthy of surrendering our entire lives, of putting our yes on the table, whatever it means, whatever it costs us. Mary said, God, I'm your servant. You are my master. You can do with 
with my life whatever you want to do. That's the gift all of us need to give. If you've been saved, you know Jesus is Savior. He's already Lord, but we struggle sometimes with allowing Him to be Lord over certain parts of our life. Say, God, you can have my, my Sunday life, and, and you can have uh, Christmas and Easter, but I'm not going to give you uh, that show I watch, or, or, or what I look at, or, or the way that I talk. Or I'm not going to give you the choice over who I work for, or where I live. And, and we don't surrender, but Mary surrendered totally to God's plan, even though she didn't have it all figured out. When you say yes to God and you surrender His will, the next three gifts we're going to see, uh, they come easy. They come at a cost, but once you make that one big decision, God, I'm going to give you all that I am. Every other decision just dominoes from there. Mary and Joseph gave their will. Instead of running away, here were these two teenagers with their whole lives in front of them. I'm so blessed today. Our, our our, our friend, our former student from Georgia, Bella Nash, freshman at Washtenaw, and her roommate from Parker's Chapel, are here today. And I just think of Bella and knowing her for a few years and knowing her even as, as a, a ninth grader and seeing her whole life ahead of her. She didn't know I was going to pick on her this morning. But when you minister to teenagers, Cooper will tell you, it's exciting because you see students with their entire lives ahead of them. And the possibilities seem to be endless. There's so much talent and potential. And even though they can't see it, sometimes you see things in them that they can't see. But the greatest thing that a young person can do is give their future to Jesus. The greatest gift that you can give him while you're young or while you're old is your will to lay down your life and say, God, whatever is ahead of me, I give it to you. All he wants is all that we have. Mary and Joseph gave their will. Mary and Joseph gave their will. The angels teach us that he's worthy of our worship. Flip over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Well, months later, the time came for Jesus to be born of the Virgin Mary. And here's what happened on that first Christmas night. Heaven touched earth. The promise of the ages that God would send a Savior was finally being fulfilled. And to a group of roughneck shepherds in a field, angels, messengers of God, came to them with a very special message. The Bible says in Luke 2 and 8, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, good news of great joy that will be for all people. This was a, a proclamation of the good news. Jesus Christ was born. The greatest news the world had ever known that God had sent a rescuer for his people. This good news word, it means an official message sent from a king. That's what the angels were. They were ambassadors for God to tell these shepherds the message that God had become man. And, and, and this news was good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Don't miss that little word, all. In fact, you might want to underline it. There is a very specific Greek translation for that word. It means this, all y'all. You see, in the Greek, it's plural. It's not just for one type of people or just for the Jews. 
It's for every type of people. And the shepherds and the wise men and the teenagers and all the people in the story show us that God has given his son for all people. For God so loved the world that he gave. And in verse 11, the angel said, There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The holy city, Jerusalem, the city of King David, would come a greater king from the line of David. His house, Christ the Lord, the Savior, the deliverer of, from all sin. And this is what they said in verse 12. The messenger, the angel of the Lord said, This will be a sign you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. The angels broke out in worship and praise to God. What is worship? It, it is what we do on Sunday mornings when we sing. But did you know your life is a worship service? What you do with your life is ascribing, giving worth to someone or something. It could be money. It could be the way that, that you are seen and perceived in the community. It could even be uh, your family. It could be a good thing. It could be a not so good thing. It could be an addiction. It could be an affection. It could be a love for God. But the Bible says we are to worship God alone. But you and I all have different things that sometimes we worship, we ascribe worth to. And our whole life is pointing people to that person or that thing. And the, the truth is that everybody worships something, but you become like what you worship. If you worship money, you will become greedy. If you worship and put all your trust in your family and relationships, one day those things will fail and let you down. But if you want more joy and peace in your life, you should worship the Prince of Peace. And if you want to be rescued from that addiction, you must worship the Great Deliverer. And if you want to have purpose in your life, you must worship the author of life. And that's why the angels were praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. But did you know that you and I have a reason to praise God that the angels don't have? In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter that the angels are curious about our salvation. See, angels were created by God to serve and worship Him, but they don't experience salvation like we do. We have a reason to praise God that we've been saved by Jesus and we belong to Him. And if the angels praise, how much more should we praise? In the Bible, there's worship publicly and there's worship privately. These angels were worshiping publicly to show the world that the Lord had come. When I worship publicly, I'm showing the world who I give worth to. I'm showing the world whether I feel like coming to church or not, that, that I belong to Jesus and I'm going to set aside Sunday to worship Him. And nothing's going to keep me from that if I can help it. And when I worship privately in my own time with the Lord and open up in His Word, I'm showing my family if they, they snoop on me, but I'm showing my heart and reminding my heart that I'm going to give worth to God above all else. Well, as the song goes, He's worthy of worship, worthy of praise. He's worthy of honor and glory. He's worthy of all the glad songs we can sing, and He's worthy of all the offerings we bring. You are worthy, Father Creator, your worthy Savior, Sustainer. You are worthy, worthy, worthy and wonderful, worthy of worship and praise. That's what the angel teaches us. He's worthy of our worship. The shepherds teach us he's worthy of our witness. In the Bible, everybody linked to Bethlehem, just about, is linked to shepherding in one form or another. 
These shepherds were country guys. In fact, they were looked down on by society because they were kind of rough. They kind of smelled. Their testimony wasn't admissible in court because some believed them to, to be untruthful, to tell lies. But God doesn't play favorites. He chose the message of Christmas through the angels to be revealed to the common man, to the ones wearing Dickies and Carhartt and drinking black coffee out of styrofoam cups. With Jesus, the outsiders become insiders. Nobody's left out. And these shepherds were working, doing their duty, and God showed up. And here's what happened in verse 15. The Bible says when the angels had gone away, here's what they said to one another. Let us now go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They came and saw that what the angels had said really happened. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the Christ. Their worship turned to witnessing. They couldn't keep the good news in. They had to go tell everybody, go tell it on a mountain, that Jesus Christ was born. The most loving thing you can do for someone is tell them about Jesus. The Bible says that, that sin is a curse. Because sin's in the world, disease and suffering and sickness and ultimately death is in the world. Sin is a spiritual cancer. It's a spiritual sickness. And if you and I had a loved one that was suffering and we knew where we could find the medicine, we would stop at nothing to get them the medicine. I told you last week that my baby girl was, was dealing a little bit a couple weeks ago with the RSV. And, and there's no feeling like a baby being sick. Nobody's happy in the house. And the baby can't communicate and you're trying to understand and you're trying to console and uh, we went to urgent care on Saturday. Aaron took the baby. And then Monday, we got her into her primary care. And the primary care said, you need this little baby. She needs a nebulizer for her breathing. That'll help her. I didn't know what a nebulizer was, but I got the call. I needed to go get one. There was only one place in town that had one. But you know what? I dropped just about everything I was doing and went and got that nebulizer for my baby girl. What's the point? If you love somebody, a friend, a family member, somebody you meet, you will tell them about Jesus. We all have the same need. We all have the same spiritual sickness. It's sin. And ultimately, it will lead to eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But Jesus is the great physician. He's the medicine. And his salvation is for all people. And the shepherds went and made it widely known. They, they glorified and they praised God. They worshiped through witnessing. The last thing I want you to see today is the wise men. If you'll turn back to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. You see, Mary and Joseph tell us he's worthy of our will. The angels teach us he's worthy of our worship. The shepherds teach us he's worthy of witnessing. But the wise men teach us he's worthy of our wealth. He's worthy of our wealth. And this was some time after. In fact, Jesus was probably two years old. I hate to mess up your nativity, but we can have a little poetic license when we have the nativity. But this... This was after that first Christmas night. And Matthew 2 verse 1 tells us, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, it's on your screen, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star, and when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now, these wise men were in the ancient courts of the ancient east. 
If you'll remember Daniel, when he was in Babylon, he had something to do with the wise men. In fact, I believe the wise men, the Bible doesn't tell us, but it would make sense, knew about the star all the way back to Daniel teaching in those Persian courts. But these wise men stood in the courts of kings, and they were skilled. They were smart. They were gifted in astrology, astronomy, philosophy, medicine, natural history. And for all their wisdom, they didn't know Jesus. And the wisdom of God is, is unbelievable. It's unfathomable. And the wisdom of men to God is foolishness. We don't know how many wise men they were. We sing the song, We Three Kings, and they gave three gifts. Maybe there was more. I bet there were because they caused quite a ruckus when they came to Herod in Jerusalem. Whatever the case may be, these wise men in Latin, magi, had followed the star and had come to find out what was going on. They were influential, powerful, educated, and wealthy, but they needed Jesus just like you and me. And God, through the star, pointed them to Jesus. Church history, it's not in the Bible, but the legend would say that these wise men were baptized by St. Thomas, and in AD 55, they were buried in Armenia. But they came to Herod, and they said, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? That in itself is a prophecy or a foreshadowing of the sign they would nail on the cross of Jesus. Even the wisest men in the world need Jesus. And verse 9 says, And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, these wise men, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw Mary, his mother. And they saw the child, and then they fell down and worshipped him. And their worship turned to giving. When we give, it's worship. They opened their treasures. They offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These were valuable gifts. These weren't just, just second thoughts. Sometimes people will come to our door with a gift, and we'll run in the back and make a little gift for them. You can laugh, but you've done it too. This wasn't re-gifting or, or, or just throwing something together. They put some thought into this gift. This gift had value for them. And, and they ascribed worth through their wealth. Well, they thought it through. They gave gold. Why did they give gold? Gold was even more invaluable in ancient times than it is today. When Bitcoin is come and gone, gold will still be there. Some of y'all got gold buried in your backyard. The gold was given to Jesus to show his eternal worth, that he was a king. That's what the gold was, a gift for a king, that his kingdom had no end. Many babies are born, and then they become a king. But there was only one baby that was a king, and then he became a baby. Amen? Gold for a king. Then they gave frankincense. That was a gift for a priest. Frankincense was very costly. It was made from scraping the bark of some very specific trees, and drying out the resin from that bark. And it was used at the tabernacle, at the altar, to signify worship and the purity and holiness of the offering being offered to God. You can read about that in Exodus 30. Uh, also in the Psalms, the psalmist says, Let my prayers like incense rise before you. As they would burn the incense, the frankincense, it would be symbolic of their communicating and fellowshipping with God. But they had to do so through a priest. And they had to do so over and over. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is our great high priest. Well, who is a priest? Not a Catholic priest, 
But in Latin, the word for priest is pontifex. What does that mean? Bridge builder. A priest is someone that goes between man and God. It goes on our behalf between man and God. And Jesus is our great high priest. And when he died on the cross, he was building a once-for-all eternal bridge between man and God. He is the one that opened up the way forever for us to know God and to have fellowship and communion with him. Every other priest in the Old Testament had to keep offering sacrifice. But the great high priest gave the greatest sacrifice, the gift of himself. The great high priest, Jesus, was given frankincense to show he was sinless and God in the flesh. But not only did they give gold for a king or frankincense for a priest, they gave myrrh for a suffering Savior. Myrrh for a suffering Savior. You may remember in Revelation we studied the church at Smyrna. Myrrh was a gum-like substance that they actually used in that day to embalm dead bodies. Can you imagine giving a little baby a gift that was used to embalm the dead? All babies are born to live, but Jesus was the only baby that was born to die. And he was crucified, and the Bible teaches that Nicodemus brought to his body myrrh, the same gift they gave him in the beginning. Myrrh mixed with aloe to anoint his dead body. Myrrh was also in that day used as a narcotic to dull pain. In Mark 15, the Bible says they brought him to the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, and they offered him as they were crucifying him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. You see, Jesus refused the pain relief of myrrh so that he could taste the sting of sin for you and me. The Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin, that in him you and I might become the righteousness of God. The myrrh, even the gift given to this little baby, pointed to his death for us. Well, gold for the king, frankincense for the priest, and myrrh for the Savior. The gifts that you and I give, our wealth, whatever it may be, our time, our talents, our treasure, our money, it needs to be in response to what he already gave. He deserves our very best. And are we giving him our best? I want to close with one thought and one story. This Christmas, when you think about what can I give him, I want to ask you this. Will you give him what he's worthy of? Will you give him what he's worthy of? He gave his very best. He gave all that he had. He was publicly humiliated. He was scourged. He was beaten, spat upon, ridiculed. He hung on the cross naked and alone and separated from his friends and his family. And the Bible says that, that he cried out to even his father and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus did all of that so that you could be right with God. He gave his very best until all he had was the blood in his veins. Then he gave that too. And his blood, the Bible says, cleanses us and covers us from all sin. It's a gift that he's already bought. All you need to do is accept the gift and give him what he's worthy of. I love stories of different Christians around the world. And there's a book called An Asian Harvest. And the book describes the life story of a man from New Zealand. A man that, that teachers told him that his life was not even worth living because he had learning issues and physical issues. But, but this man, his name was Paul Hathaway. He became a smuggler to the underground church in China. And the story is all about how God used a nobody named Paul Hathaway, somebody who the world said, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything. 
God used him to give Bibles all over China. And we know what's happened in China. When the communists came in, they kicked the missionaries out. But the gospel spread like wildfire, and people got saved. And the church is growing like crazy. Why? Because persecution only makes the church grow faster. And the strength of the church is not in the government, but in the blood of Jesus. And he describes some things in the churches there. They'll meet together underground because you might get arrested or thrown in jail just for coming to church. And he describes going to a house church, an underground church, in secret. And instead of having offering plates or or boxes like we have, where they would give their gift back to God, they had a rice sack. They have a rice sack that they put their offerings in. Perhaps it looks something like this. That's all they had to collect the offering. But as they passed it around in their worship service, there were some Chinese believers who had nothing to give. And, and he writes of watching those believers that had no money, that had nothing to give God, what they did when the rice sack was passed to them, they would get up and put their feet in the sack. And they would say, God, whatever I have, I give to you. You can have all of me. What little I have, I give to you, ask you to use it. I surrender my whole life to Jesus. Why do I say that story? Have you stepped in the sack? Have you laid your life down on the altar and said, God, here am I, use me for your glory. Thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. We hope you'll tune back in next time to the Light for Living podcast.